We just ended our Encounters with Jesus uh, sermon, uh, series, excuse me, seven sermons on the uh, Encounters with Jesus. And next week, we start our Gather, Grow, Go series, which is an annual series that helps us reestablish what our mission is as Bethany Community Church. Today, today has been sort of uh, earmarked in some ways to be a bridge between those two series, to understand and to focus in on, in, in kind of layman's ways, like faith and work, but more specific ways, our primary vocation as Christians. And this is in response to the encounter series, because Scott said, whenever, we, whenever Christ encountered, uh, encounters us, we leave different. So if Christ has encountered us, then how are we going to work and live in our lives? So that's the question I want to I pose this morning. If Jesus has encountered us, how are we to respond to Christ in our daily lives and in our work? In 2006, I graduated college, and I played my own baccalaureate. And I played it in this awful salmon-colored shirt, as you can tell from this grainy photo. There I am. I took, this was my fanciest shirt, and I took this shirt and I wore it out to all my interviews that summer, and I wore it to an interview at Washington Mutual, the, uh, the corporate office downtown, and I mean, goodness, and uh, a man named Rich Perry was able to look past my awful salmon-colored shirt and see me, and he hired me. And he told me uh, later on that he, he took a chance on me. I had theological education. I didn't have business. He said he hired me because he saw that I was a Christian with theological education looking to get into the business world. And he himself was a Christian, uh, a senior VP at WAMU, trying to live out his faith in the business world. And it was through... Uh, Rich's mentorship, and I would say discipleship of me, that I first learned the lesson that my first vocation, no matter where I found myself, no matter where I was, was as a Christian. And that was a very significant lesson to learn uh, right out of the gate, right out of college, as I went and stepped into all sorts of jobs to remember that my first vocation was as a Christian. And that's what the text is speaking to us about this morning, how to follow Christ after encountering him, how to be after we encounter Christ wherever we go. Learning to follow Christ in the midst of the everyday is deeply challenging and confusing, and it has been for me. I've wrestled for years about my calling and how to go about living. It's been difficult. But this morning, I think the two fish-catching stories will uh, they, they look to offer us a golden thread that we can hold on to while we strive to follow Christ. But two things I want to I express before we jump into the stories. First is the context of the two fishing stories. And then second is who this message is for this morning. So as for the context, the two fishing stories are at opposite ends of Jesus' ministries. So right at the beginning as he comes out in his public ministry, and then right at the end after his resurrection. <clears throat> the first one in Luke 5 is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's essentially a story of Jesus calling a few of his disciples. 
Uh, in this story, Jesus provides a focus on how we are to, how to work and even offers a model of discipleship that we can disciple others. The second story in John 21 is at the end of Jesus' ministry, so this is post-resurrection, and feels like a moment where Jesus is refocusing his disciples after they've gone through some really hard stuff with Jesus. This story in John 21 uh, has this interaction with Jesus and Peter, and I, and I believe that that really brings focus in on our message today. It's really the purpose of how we are to work. And although there's a mix of disciples in both these stories, the main character is clearly Peter, so we're going to focus on Peter this morning. And as for who this message is for, I I really do believe that this message is for everyone because we all are working in, in various places of our lives, but I want to give special attention to the Big C Church, to you as Christ followers. I want to speak to Christ followers about your primary, primary mandate wherever you find yourselves. For some, a place you may find yourself on a regular basis is an office or your business. For many with tradi- traditional job arrangements, coworkers are the people we spend a third of our week with and are a big part of our sphere of influence. But I do want to say that is not the only place we're going to be focusing on today because I believe the mandate for us as Christian is, it goes much wider than that. I believe the scripture for today is saying this. The Christ followers' first and primary vocation is to catch people with the love of Christ in any place they find themselves. So I think actually in some cases, stay-at-home mothers or fathers, hey, Ronaldo, uh, children who are caretakers of aging parents, Grandparents who routinely watch their grandkids or post-career retirees that give special focus to other people. These folks have a unique opportunity to live into Christ's followers' primary vocation because their main focus is the home and their main investment is in dependence or in others. So, you know, these roles are usually undervalued in our culture and as it relates to who's doing work, uh, I want to say that the, the focus and the fruit of these folks who have these non-traditional kind of job arrangements, they, they have a special opportunity to do that which we are talking about today, to live out the primary vocation. So if you feel like this is you today in this non-traditional kind of job arrangement, I want you to know that you do go to work on a daily basis, that your work of caring for and loving your dependents is producing fruit in the form of their character. And although you may never adequately be repaid for your sacrifices, I want you to know you're in good company with the disciples who, through their sufferings and through their joys, had the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to know that. So this message is for everyone today. With that, let's look at our text and see how Jesus calls us to work in the world. Just a second. <clears throat> so I think the, one of the first things I want to highlight is this. Our work is making more than a living. It can make a difference. So again, let's read Luke 5, 1 through 3. One day Jesus was standing beside Lake Genesaret when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. 
Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Lake Genesaret is a very popular lake in the Gospels. Uh, it's mentioned in many places. It's, it's where Jesus uh, calms the storm after falling asleep on the boat. It's where Jesus and Peter both walk on the water, and it's where both of our fishing stories take place. Both fish-catching stories occur on this lake because it's filled with edible fish that can be sold to the surrounding towns around the lake. It's where, you know, Peter, James, John, and Andrew were all fishermen, and they were on this lake to fish to make a living. But the ironic thing is that this story begins with their failure to even do that. We know from verse 5 that they have fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus walks into the scene uh, to see two empty boats and the men washing their nets, wrapping up for the night, having caught nothing. They fail to do the one thing that sustains their livelihood and that gives their identity worth and value. You can practically see them washing their nets, just moping, frustrated, maybe even begin to make excuses or bickering with one another. We don't actually know because the text doesn't say, but can you relate to this kind of failure? A failure to do that which you intended to do in the places you find yourselves? Can you, can you pull forward the feelings or reactions that you had from this kind of failure? It is into this moment that Jesus enters the scene, and I think he does so intentionally. As Pastor Scott said when he preached this text back in July, sometimes our setbacks are setups for God to do something big. Sometimes we have to fish all night and fail for us to be vulnerable enough to allow Jesus to walk into our lives and do something new. So Jesus, in all his boldness, he just boards Peter's boat, uninvited. He just boards his boat and asks Peter if he will row him out just a little bit. I can almost see Peter, dejected, holding his net, with like this look on his face like, are you serious? But despite that, he does it anyways, which is really an interesting thing. This is important because Jesus asked Peter for help, and it requires Peter to say yes for them to partner up. It requires a yes from Peter for them to partner up. A way that our work is more than just making a living is being available to disruption and saying yes to Jesus even after a failure. It requires us to release some of our control and even allow others in other situations to have control over us. And I tell you, I hate saying that. My wife will tell you that I am definitely not the kind of person that just lets go and lets Jesus drive to the conclusion I really want to get involved and make a difference uh, of the outcome. It's really difficult for me to do that, but it's what we're seeing here. It's what we're seeing Peter do, that he just goes along for the ride. He says yes. Initially, Peter is just incidental, right? Jesus asked him to row out, so he rows the bow out a little bit. Nothing big, no big commitment in that. But what Peter may miss from this clever move from the teacher Jesus is that the activities of Jesus and Peter are now bound together as one. They're on the same boat, supporting the same activities. While Peter rows, what does Jesus do? Jesus taught the crowds 
from the boat. He taught them God's word, which they wanted to hear. God's word is used throughout Luke to basically say that what's being preached is the revelation of God and the call to repentance. Peter had unknowingly partnered with Jesus in teaching the crowds, and Jesus was modeling how Peter's work can make more than a living. It can make a difference. Without knowing it, Peter, has, Peter was being taught by Jesus how to fish for people from his own fishing boat. Fishing for people from a boat that was designed to fish for fish. Jesus shows Peter the creative lengths that one can go to make a difference in the lives of others and ultimately the kingdom of God. Kind of like Chris Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Theotech. Chris was once an employee of Amazon who at Amazon, you, you, you're taught to, to have this perspective, what does the customer want? And then work backwards to figure out how you can provide products and processes that the customer is looking for. <clears throat> so Chris, in his desire to make a difference in the kingdom of God, began asking the question, what if God was our customer? He started to think how God wants everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation to be able to have access to hear God's word, the Bible. So he and his sister Natasha started Theotech. One program they created is called FIG, Fully Interactive Gospel, which is a small voiced controlled device that reads the Bible aloud in multiple languages. This fits on a credit card sized computer called a Raspberry, and the goal is to put the Bible in the hands of over 800 million illiterate people worldwide and allow them to explore the Bible with their own voice in their own language. This is striving to make a difference in one's work, believing that God is our customer and finding ways to fulfill God's will. But I tell you, we need to believe a significant truth alongside this desire to make a difference in order to keep striving at it. And that is that we need to believe that who we are is who is needed for the job. Let me read, continue to read in Luke 4 through 10. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, master, we've we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets, and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners and the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at his knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon uh, Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. This section tends to be the the, the pinnacle of the story, boasting a miracle catch of fish at the word of Jesus after a night of nothing. But even though there's a miracle, I, I don't think that it's Luke's intention for it to be the central focus of the story. Just like I don't think Jesus gave Peter this this miracle just so he can be excited about all the fish that he caught. I think the miracle is to focus us on Jesus and then what Jesus is doing with Peter. And what Jesus is doing with Peter is going deeper into a partnership. He tells Peter, row out farther 
into the deep waters. This directive gives Peter an opportunity to trust Jesus. And as partners, it gives him an opportunity to invest together in the risks and the rewards that come from going deeper. So Peter accepts and he rows out, and we see that Jesus turns the tables on Peter just a little bit. Jesus, in the first scene, has just modeled how he could use a fishing boat, a tool of Peter's, to fish for people. Now, Jesus is providing an abundant catch of fish for Peter, but Jesus can't make this catch himself. He needs Peter. He needs Peter's expertise and his experience and his tools and his team to make the catch. The person Peter is is who Jesus needs for the job of catching these fish. Peter goes right into action, directing his crew to drop the nets for the the catch of fish. He signals the other boat, the people that he's managing, to come and assist him to, to potentially help with this massive catch. He manages the men and is able to pull the full catch into the boats to the point of almost sinking. It is clear that Jesus chose the right person for this job. It was hard, but Peter was up to the task. Hindsight is always 20-20, isn't it? We can get through a hard situation and look back and see we were the right person for the job or that we had something special that helped us get through. But I know some of you here are asking yourselves if you're really the right person for the role that you find yourself in in the present. Asking if you're smart enough, if you're skilled enough, if you're productive enough, if you're likable enough. I know this because these are the questions I ask myself. The truth that we see in the scripture, though, is that the person called to the task is who is needed for the job, just like Peter. It is who you are that the job needs and who you are, your identity, is in Christ. And that is a downright scary thing to most of us. For when we believe that it's who we are is in Christ, then it is Christ who's the provider and the definer of who we are. He puts his very life in us so so that he may live through us and, and enable us to accomplish his will in the places that he has set us in. You are where you are with intention. And who you are is with a purpose. Let me say that again. You are where you are with intention and you are who you are with a purpose. Believe Jesus lives in you and provides for where you are right now, and you just might see that you are who is needed for the job. On his knees before Jesus, in a boat with a massive catch next to him, I believe Peter not only saw Jesus, but saw something in Jesus that he revealed to himself. A masterful setup on Jesus' part to reveal to Peter that he was the right person to make a difference in the lives of many. Scott has jokingly said many times, there's a difference between fishing and catching. And I think that that's very applicable here. The text suggests that Jesus knows how to fish for people and that Peter knows how to catch fish. 
So the story moves towards its natural conclusion that Jesus and Peter together will go into the world and catch people. Do you believe that Jesus wants to partner with you today? Do you believe that he wants to partner with you where you are because who you are to go and catch people? It's an interesting thing to look at Peter as a character and say that, yes, that's what he's doing. But can we ask that of ourselves? Do you believe that Jesus values you so that he wants to partner with you in where you are, in what you do because of who you are to go and make a difference in the world? I believe it's true. I believe it's true. But one of the things that we do when we believe a truth like that, that God values us so that he wants to partner with us, live his life in and through us where we're at right now, I think the first thing we think is escape. The first thing we think is run. Because it's scary. It's scary. Luke 5, uh, uh, 10b through 11 here says, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. To to prepare Peter for the call to go fish for people, Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. In Peter's confession, he says to Jesus, leave me, Lord. What he has experienced is too much for him. And his first words to Jesus are, leave me. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Angels in scripture commonly say this to those they visit. Don't be afraid. And it means what it says. It's an encouragement to not fear. But I think it's also saying, don't run away. Don't look for a way out. Resist escapism. I resonate with Peter wanting relief from an overwhelming experience or just wanting to escape He is on the cusp of something big, something life-changing, and he wants to stop it or run from it, resist escapism. Many times in my own life, I have run from overwhelming circumstances where I felt out of control. By running, I took back control, but I missed a chance to take up the call God was making to me, resist escapism. The lesson I learned after having done this is that I should not run from my circumstances, but only run towards God's call. Our culture has made it increasingly easier for us to run away from hardships, to just move on. I heard it said once that grit is is a primary ingredient for growth, and I think it's true. Grit to be consistent, grit to suffer, grit to resist escapism, even though our modern, our modern times have made it easier than ever. Jesus says to Peter, and Jesus says to us, don't be afraid. For I think Jesus would continue, for by my life lived through you, I will enable you with the grit to fish for people in any places you find yourselves. The Greek there for fish for people, it literally means to catch people alive, Our primary task as Christians in any place we find ourselves is to catch people alive, and this is why we cannot be filled with fear. For if we fish fearfully, then we will catch and reproduce fear-filled people. No, we are called to catch people alive, and to do that, we must be alive ourselves. How do we be alive ourselves? We need to expect 
restoration. In John 21, when the disciples encounter Jesus at Lake Genesaret, or Tiberias as it's called in John, it's the resurrected Jesus. They have suffered reeling from Jesus' crucifixion and are not sure what to think of Jesus providing them another miracle catch and then eating with them. Expect restoration. He has a conversation with Peter where he asks him three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. After denying Christ three times, you think Jesus would reject Peter, but instead he forgives him by asking him three times if he loves him. Expect restoration. And this, my friends, is how we become alive, alive to the life of Christ in us, facing our sin and suffering. We must become bitterly aware of our sin against Jesus and become proximate to suffering, just like Peter did. Sin and suffering are sobering agents for when we seek to live surface-level lives. They are the cracks in the pottery of our humanity where the light of Christ can come into us. It is when Jesus forgives our sin that the suffering we have experienced in ourselves and in others comes into sharp focus. And we become alive to the truth about Jesus Christ himself. We finally become aware and attuned to what following Jesus is all about. And it's summed up in the question, the question that Jesus asks Peter. Do you love me? Even when you're sinning, even when you're filled with anger, even when you're doubting or wandering or hurting, do you love me, church? Do you love Jesus, for I tell you this morning, the primary way we catch people alive with the love of Christ is to love Christ. If you want to make more than a living and make a difference in the world, then love Christ. If you want to make more of an impact right where you are, then love Christ. If you want to be restored, then love Christ. If you, Bethany, want to be a light to shoreline and beyond, then love Christ. For when you love Christ, you will have an endless flowing river of living water poured into you. This living water is the life of Christ filling you up. And a Christ-filled life is an awe-inspiring life. And what is inspiring is attractive for all the right reasons. You see, people are not like fish. They don't want to be baited. They want to be inspired. And Christ living a resurrected life in and through our lives in partnership with us is the most awe-inspiring thing that the world has ever seen. The love of God you share in the places you find yourselves can literally transform those places, those people, and you. And I will confess to you this morning that I'm going through my own transformation because of love. For many years, I've lived like a warrior for Christ, fighting wars and striving for correctness. I have fought like a Pharisee for what has felt like the right reasons, but it's left me dry. I felt faced with this question from Jesus, do you love me? And I say to him, yes. Yes, I want to love you. Help me to love you. And I tell you, church, there's been more fruit more fruit in my life from loving Christ than there has ever been from being a warrior for Christ. 
And I believe that there is more fruit in the kingdom of God being a lover than a warrior. And it only took one yes. Like my friend Corey has said, look what one yes, look how one yes has changed everything. So the question to you today is, will you say yes to Jesus living in you today? In the places you find yourself, in the work you do, in whoever you're investing in, will you say yes to Jesus living through you today? Peter needed to say yes. He needed to say yes when Christ asked him to row out the boat just a little bit. Are you willing to say yes to Christ wanting to partner with you today? What tools or experience or skills do you have to offer the master today? Are you willing to say yes to Christ living his resurrected life in you today? If you are, then I would encourage you this morning as we prepare to come to communion to ask yourself those questions. Are you ready and willing to offer all of who you are and all of what you have to Christ? Because I tell you, he wants to partner with you to do things on this earth that even Christ can't do without you. So as we prepare ourselves to receive the body and the blood of Christ and take into ourselves the power, the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit,